I got a friend who goes to Hope to let me borrow his car, and I picked up Hope's founding pastor to get some answers. I bought you a little present. Is this your car? (laughs) No, it's not my car. I work at Hope. Our conversation about the why, how, and what of Hope was going great. I mean, let's be honest. Hope isn't the typical church. It was great to hear about the intentionality of why we do what we do. As we continued talking about the five marks of a growing follower of Jesus, the conversation moved to how we can share our faith with a world that's easily offended about seemingly everything. So how do you share willingly? When I think of sharing willingly, I just think that I'm not trying to win somebody into a relationship with God. I'm not doing anything. This is like, this was me before I was a Christian. This is what Christ did for me. And this is how my life has changed. This is how my relationships have changed. Yeah, this is an Amway. No, I'm not trying to get another notch in my gun. It's not a rejection of me if they laugh and say they're not interested. It's like Paul says, some people plant a seed, some people water the seed, some people actually get to be involved in the harvest. But so when you share willingly, you're really just throwing seeds out there. Sure. And this person that you share with may move across the country and meet someone else who builds on that story that you share with them about how Christ changed your life. This isn't about proving that, hey, I'm right and you're wrong, which I think is where people kind of... Yeah, I mean, think about the things we share with people. If we find a good diet that's affected, we tell everybody about it. Oh yeah. If we find a store we like to shop at, that the sales are incredible, we tell everybody about it. We actually have the secret to life, but we don't share that, so. Man, we haven't even checked out the sound system, jeez. I know, for real, we need to I'm not sure how to turn the radio on. I'm scared to death about, like, what, what is this? Thing. Oh, watch this. Look at your dash. Oh, gosh. What in the world? That's crazy. I'm telling you, it doesn't take much to impress a redneck from Durham. I'll tell you that right now. Just a fancy dashboard. It's good to see you guys this weekend. It's the fifth week of our series that we're calling How, Why, and What. And if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know that we've been basing this a lot on what Jesus gave, what has become known as the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. And I like to point out, he said to his disciples, okay? So he's talking to his disciples and he said, this is what I want you to do. You're disciples, now I want you to go make disciples. In other words, I want you to replicate yourself, reproduce yourself to all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the how and why we do what we do at Hope is summed up in our mission statement, how we actually come up with this idea of disciples that make disciples. First of all, you just gotta love people where they are. And of course, this is not original with us because Jesus was original about loving people where they are. In fact, someone sent me this cartoon on Friday. Love everyone no matter what. What if they have tattoos? Yes, even if they ask stupid questions. So Jesus, Jesus, see, love, just love everybody, right? But see, the thing is, you don't want people to stay where they are. I mean, think about it. When Jesus, you know, was confronted with a woman caught in adultery, he said, I don't condemn you, but you you know, you got to change your lifestyle. You got to clean up your act if your life is going to change. So love them where they are, but encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Why do we do that? It's because we want them to experience, if those of us who are Christians who've responded to the gospel, we want them to experience the same thing that we've experienced by being in a relationship with God that's been made possible through Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. We, we want them to know the, that, how, what it means to have a purpose and a meaning and to have that sense of peace and fulfillment in your life. So we want to come alongside of them and love them where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And we really believe that here at Hope, if we do those two things, we have positioned ourselves as a church that can make disciples that makes disciples. In other words, we can replicate, we can reproduce 
disciples. And what does it look like to be a disciple that is involved in making other disciples? Well, over the years, we've come up with five goals, five marks. I like to think of them as indication of things that should be present in your life. And again, these aren't things that you just check off and do, say, doing that, doing that, doing that. No, it's what you become. These are things that just become a part of your DNA. And we began the very first week by saying, well, first of all, you just got to live obediently to God's word. I mean, Jesus said right after Matthew 28, 19, go make disciples. The very next thing he said was teach them to obey all things. Teach them to obey everything in my word. In other words, we have to bring our life into alignment with God's word, whether we like it or not, whether it's popular in culture or not. God, Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. So we, we have to live obedient life. Second, we have to serve selflessly. And we saw that last weekend. And Jesus said, you want to be great? Be a servant. You know, you want to be blessed? Serve. So he gave, he gave some big promises connected with serve. And we talked about what does serving look like? Well, if you see a need that you can meet, you meet it. If there's something that needs to be done and you're capable of doing it, then you do it. That's what it means to have the heart of a servant. We're going to talk about give generously. And just so you know, Jesus had more to say about giving than any other topic that he talked about. More than heaven, more than hell, more than prayer. He talked about giving. He talked about money matters. Why did Jesus talk so much about money matters? Because he knows that our money matters, okay? And he knows that if we're going to be all in, fully devoted disciples, some, at some point we're going to have to come to terms where our resources, our finances don't take precedence over our relationship with God. It's just part of that sacrifice that we go through to be disciples who are serious about making other disciples. And then we're going to talk about connect intentionally. And you saw the video this week about the importance of being in community. But this weekend, I want to talk to you about one of our Mark's goals indicators uh, of willingly sharing your story, how Jesus Christ has changed your life. And I want to begin by just telling you a story. You guys know I moved to, I moved to, uh, moved to Fuquay. So ever since I moved here from California, I started out in Cary and then I moved out to Apex and then I moved a little further out in Apex and then I moved out to Holly Springs and now I'm in Fuquay. So watch out, Willow Springs, here I come. You know what I'm saying? I'm just getting further and further away from people. I don't know what that says about me. But I love Fuquay. I know I've kidded about it for years. I love Fuquay because they're just, they're, just, they're just not pretentious. They're just down-to-earth kind of people. Fuquay is the place you want to hang out in Walmart. So you, you want to go to Home Depot because you're just going to meet some cool people. I met a guy one day at, at, at Home Depot. A native, born in Fuquay, had the tobacco farm, the big boys that worked at the tobacco farm. It was incredible. And I was talking to him one day, and he said, you know, one day I went out, and he says, we had an outhouse out by the pond where we kept all the cows and stuff, and uh, in case you couldn't get back to the house. And um, I lined my boys up, and I said, hey, which one of you pushed the outhouse into the pond? And he said, I have four big strapping boys. They just sat there, not, not, not a word. And he said, so I told him a story. I said, listen, when George Washington was a little boy, he chopped down his daddy's favorite cherry tree. His daddy said, if you tell the truth, I won't whoop you, right? So George Washington told the truth, and his daddy didn't whoop him. He says, boys, I'm going to ask you one more time. Who pushed the outhouse into the pond? And finally, one of the boys raised his hand. His dad said, man, I grabbed him by the ear and pulled him behind the woodshed, and I just put a whooping on him. I whooped him <laughs> up and down. And when I was finished, my son said, why did you whoop me? I thought you said when George Washington told the truth, his dad didn't whoop him. He said, well, George Washington's dad wasn't in the cherry tree. Oh, there you go. There you go. 1115 service. I never know about you. You were out drinking late last night or something. But anyway, you got true story, true story. Now, simple point of that story is this. The son was, the dad was just trying to get somebody to tell the truth. 
So think of it this way. When we talk about sharing willingness this weekend, I'm just trying to get you to share the truth about what's happened in your life. I just want to encourage you to be willing to share with other people, the people you live around, go to class with, the people that you work with, that you play with, wherever it is that you share with them your story about how you actually got into this relationship with Jesus and the difference, the impact that it's made on your life. Now, uh, let's just be honest. Storytelling is kind of a thing of the past. It's kind of a lost art. Uh, I remember as a kid, even when we would go camping as teenagers, we would sit around and see who could tell the scariest story, you know, and we loved just doing that, right? But, you know, my mom, my grandma and my grandpa, I can remember, they grew up on Driver Avenue, and, uh, or they were on Driver Avenue in Durham when I was growing up, and, and they had this big real front porch on a house, not like the little pseudo front porches they try to put on our house, but the, the real deal, right, with rocking chairs. And I can remember sitting on the front porch and listening to them uh, tell their stories of growing up. Now think about this. My grandma and my grandpa, when they were born, their transportation was a horse and buggy. But they lived long enough to see a man walk on the moon. I mean, that's a lot of change taking place in a lifetime. They had some great stories. And I was always mesmerized as they told, I could just sit there for hours. I didn't need TV. I didn't need video games. Just listening to them tell stories. But I'm telling you, with the advancement of technology that seems uh, to be leading more and more to isolation, and that's not a good thing for our culture, verbal communication is almost becoming a thing of the past. I mean, it, it, it's the possibility could actually go extinct, right? And so as we verbally communicate less and less and less, we tell fewer stories about our lives. I mean, we're lucky if we get an emoji, right? But deep down inside all of us, I'm telling you, the desire to share our life story, it is still there. And one of the stories that we need to be sharing is how Jesus Christ changed our lives. And I'll tell you why this is so important. You can go to work, you can go to school, you can go wherever you go tomorrow. And, and, you, and people, you can, you can talk about the Bible. See, people can deny that God spoke the world into existence. They can deny that. They can deny that while Jesus was on this earth, he was at the same time fully man and fully God. They're like, I don't buy that. You know? they, they can deny that Jesus Christ died on the cross, three days later rose from the dead. They can say, I don't believe that. But I'm going to tell you something. People have a hard time denying the power of a changed life. This is what my life used to be like. I met Jesus. This is what my life is like now. See, that's why your story is so important. But when we talk about sharing our story, what we're really talking about is the E word. Okay, we're talking about evangelism. It's not a word that we use very often. It's because it's a word that, to be honest, it just scares the bejeebies out of us. Because of all the mental images that evangelism you know, conjures up. In fact, I have this old cartoon. You know, you, you know, we've all had somebody knock on our door. We felt like that's what was going on. Like, I'll believe, I'll believe if you just quit choking me, right? And so, like, I don't want to be a part of that. But you got to understand, evangelism is really not just going door to door saying you got to believe in Jesus. Okay? Evangelism is nothing more than the process by which we come alongside a friend, an individual, a coworker, and we encourage them to follow Jesus. Now, in the old day, you know, we would refer to this as witnessing. I went to the Baptist church, and we're going to go out Thursday night, we're going to go witnessing. And I, you know, but that's actually a good term, because the word witness literally means to give a testimony of facts or events. So when you're sharing your story, you're just giving testimonies of facts and events of how Jesus changed your life. And again, understand, this is something we are commanded to do. What? We have to make disciples. You can't make disciples of Jesus until someone first becomes a follower of Jesus. And to follow Jesus, they have to understand the gospel and respond to the gospel. But we don't like to do it. It's stressful. It's scary. Not only is it stressful and scary for us, it's stressful and scary for the person that we're talking to. So this weekend, I want to move as much, remove as much of the fear and the stress out of this as we can to help us be better witnesses, willing to share willingly what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And I want to begin by having you look at a verse in Acts chapter 1. If you brought your Bible this weekend, Acts 1, this is right before Jesus leaves the earth and ascends back to heaven. Chronologically, this would fall in line right 
at the end of Matthew where Jesus gave the Great Commission, go and make disciples. So think of it this way. In Matthew 28, Jesus also said, all authority has been given to me. And I think what he's implying there is he's challenging these disciples is, God has given me the authority to make disciples. Now I'm going to give you the authority to make disciples. I'm giving you the authority. So think about it. They had the authority, but they didn't have any power to do it. Jesus had all kinds of power, right? They didn't have any power. So you get to chapter 1 of 8, chapter 1, verse 8. And again, Jesus, remember, he died. Uh, Three days he was in the tomb. He rose from the dead. Then he spent 40 days on the earth. A lot of people saw him. Paul says hundreds of people saw him at once. He was wandering around Jerusalem. These are the same people that saw him die on the cross are now seeing for 40 days walk around. And it's one of the reasons when Peter got up in Acts chapter 2 and gave that message and shared the gospel, 3,000 people immediately began to follow Jesus Christ. They're like, oh, I watched him die on the cross, and now he's walking around Jerusalem. I want to be on his team, right? So that, that makes it pretty simple, right? So right before he ascends back to the Father, the last thing he says is this, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power. The Greek word is dunamis. We get our English word dynamite. That's a good word. You're going to get that kind of power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so Jesus needed to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. Acts chapter 2 talks about that. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But I want you to notice that phrase in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will be my witnesses. It doesn't say you'll do witnessing. It doesn't say you'll go witnessing. He says, you're going to be a witness of me. You will be my witnesses. So this is what I want to think through for the next few minutes this weekend. Are you a witness that talks or are you just a witness that keeps silent? Because see, you are a witness. I mean, if you've responded to the gospel and the gospel is simply this, Jesus came to this earth, got in the flesh, born in Bethlehem, grew up, was a carpenter about the age of 30, went public with his ministry, did the miracles, did the teachings, the, the Sermon on the Mount, all of those things. At about the age of 33, because he had so upset the established religious climate, they had him nailed to the cross, but they didn't realize they were falling right into God's plan of Jesus dying on the cross to pay for our sins. Three days later, he rose from the dead to verify and validate, I am the Son of God who can take away your sins. If you believe that and then you've transferred your trust from who you are and what you think you can do to get back into a relationship with God, well, I'm trying to read my Bible, I'm trying to go to church, I'm trying to be a good person, I'm trying not to kick my neighbor's dog, God ought to be, no. you got to transfer your trust from who you are and what you're doing to who Jesus Christ is and what he's already done for you. And you're like, I'm in. I believe what Jesus Christ did for me. At that point, you've responded to the gospel. And if that's happened, something has transpired. Something has happened in your life. And that's why you're able to now live the abundant life that Jesus said, I came that you might have. That's why when you die, you'll know without a doubt that you're going to spend all eternity in a place called heaven with a God who's head over heels in love with you. So you've responded to the gospel. Now, here's the question. Are you going to tell anybody about it? Or are you going to plead the Fifth Amendment? Are you going to say, as a Christian, I have the right to remain silent? See, But I want you to understand, if you are a Christian, you are already a witness. So I have three simple points this weekend Uh, as it relates to being a witness. Here's point number one. Okay, just what is a witness? Let me give you a definition. A witness is someone who has seen and heard something and communicates his or her experience accurately. That's all a witness is. It's someone who has seen something, heard something, and they communicate that experience accurately. Now, let me just say, you would not believe, and it'd be a great study for you, how many times the phrase seen and heard appears in the Bible. And I don't even have the time to show you even a small percentage of them this weekend, but I want to show you some people in the Bible that were witnesses. For example, it may surprise you, but the first one was Jesus. I mean, when he came to this earth, Jesus was a witness of what he had seen the Father do and what he had heard the Father say. John chapter 3, verse 31. The one who comes from above, and Jesus is speaking in the first person, referring to himself, is above all. 
The one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. Now notice this, he testifies. What does a witness do? You testify. He testifies to what? What he has seen and heard. So Jesus, when he was on this earth, was a witness to what he had seen the Father do, what he had heard the Father say, and guess what? It changed the world. The shepherds, they were witnesses of Jesus' birth. Luke chapter 2, verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They were witnesses. The disciples of John the Baptist were witnesses. For example, one day they came to Jesus and they said, hey, are you the one? What do you mean? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one the prophets have been talking about? The one that's going to be the savior of the world? Luke chapter 7, verse 22, he replied to the messengers. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you have what? Seen and heard. Well, what have they seen and heard? The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So the witness, they were witnesses. Here's another one. The disciples were witnesses after the resurrection. Acts chapter 4, one of my favorite stories. It's about Peter and John going up to worship one day, and they encounter a guy who's been lame for 38 years, crippled for 38 years, hanging out at the temple, hoping to get a little something to eat or maybe some money. And they heal him, and he's jumping around, high-fiving everybody, and they're like, man, that John's been down for 38 years, and John is doing incredible, right? And it's just amazing. And, of course, the religious establishment, they're getting upset about this whole thing. There's this movement, this Christian movement, this you know, wave making its way through Jerusalem. So they call them in and they said, listen, verse, uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 18, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Don't do it anymore. Stop talking about Jesus. But notice what it says. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We just can't stop talking about it. You know, throw us in jail if you want to, but we cannot stop talking about it. The greatest apostle who ever lived, the apostle Paul, was a witness. In fact, when he was sharing his story with Ananias, he recalled what the angel said to him on the road to Damascus. He said, he said, you will be his witness, referring to Jesus, to all people of what you have what? Seen and heard. John, not only the writer of the gospel, John 3:16, most read book in the world is the gospel of John, by the way. He also wrote three letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And this is what he said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Well, do you remember how John began his gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see the same thread here. That which was from the beginning, which we, the disciples, have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the Word of life, a reference to Jesus. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. We're witnesses. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And you know why their witness was so strong? They'd met him. And we're saying, Mike, that's easy. If I'd have been around the first century, if I could have met him, that would have made a big difference. Not really. There was a lot of people that met him, saw him, even saw him do miracles, and then they ended up nailing him to a cross. So that's not the key. But they met him, and it changed their life. And I know what you're thinking. Well, if I could have just seen him, if I could have just been alive in the first century, let me tell you something. If you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, you've met him. You've had an encounter with him because he's changed your life. Now, let me just say this. If you hadn't had an encounter, if you don't know what Jesus Christ has done for you, if it hasn't changed your life, you may be a very good person, a very religious person, but you probably aren't a follower of Jesus Christ because you got to meet him. And once you meet him, guess what? You'll hear him speak to you. Now, he may not speak to you audibly. God has never spoken to me audibly. Jesus has never spoken to me audibly. 
But I remember one time when I lived in California, somebody suggested me planting a church, and I said, well, Jesus would have to come down in the flesh, look me in the eye, and tell me to do that. I am not starting a church. I tell you that right now, right? But then later on, it was as if God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, communicated with my spirit, and that's why I'm here this weekend. And and a lot of you here, as you've walked with Christ, you you felt him speak to you. You've experienced that. You've heard him. Not only that, you've witnessed. You've seen what he's done in your life. You know what your life was like before Christ, and you see how he's changed your life. See, it's your personal story, and you are a witness of that event. Think of it this way. Say you're out walking your little ship zoo, you know, one day, and, and you get to the intersection, and you can't cross, you know, and so you're waiting for the traffic lights to be right, and while you're standing there, lo and behold, a car runs a red light and hits another car, right? Fortunately, you run up, nobody's hurt, everybody gets out of the car, but you hang around because, see, you saw what happened. So finally, the policeman comes over and says, okay, did anybody witness this? Did anybody see this? And you say, yeah, I was standing right over there on the corner, and I saw what happened. They ran the red light. And he says, listen, I'm going to get your name. I need to get your contact, your name, your phone number, because if, if this goes to court, if it's disputed, I may need you to come in as a witness. And sure enough, you get a summons, and you got to go to court to be a witness. Now, let me ask you a question. You witnessed a traffic event. Somebody read a red light. They didn't stop in time. Do you have to go to automotive school and learn everything there is to learn about cars and brakes and how it all works together? Are you going to have to go to red light school? I hope not. That's not probably not a good school to go to, right? No, they're not asking you to be an expert. They just want you to come to court and be a witness. They want you to testify. They want you to tell what you have seen and what you have heard. That's all that sharing your story is. Now, let me just say this. Over time, you can get better at it, and you should get better at it. But what I want you to understand this weekend is if you are a Christian, you have a story that you can share with someone minutes after you make that decision to follow Jesus Christ. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't even need to take a class. You just need to tell your story. Hey, this is what happened to me. You can be a witness. Here's the second point. Witnesses don't argue. A witness doesn't argue. And I think that's part of the reason we don't share our story. We're going to get in a conversation, and we're not going to be able to answer all the questions. You don't have to argue with people. You don't have to have your theology down in such a way that you can win a debate, and they're like, okay, 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 you won, you won, I'll be a Christian. That never happens, right? But let me tell you this. All you have to do is tell your story because nobody can argue with you because it's your story. It's your story. So think of it this way. To be a witness, you don't have to know what happened to the dinosaurs. You don't have to be able to answer that question. You don't have to know what came first, the chicken or the egg. Or is God so powerful he can make a rock so big he can't move it? Is that What's the answer to that question? You don't have to know that. You don't have to know how old the earth really is. Now, let me just say this. As you grow and mature as a Christian, you ought to learn how to address those kinds of issues. You ought to be able to have some kind of intelligent conversation, right? You ought to be able to talk to someone about evolution versus creation. And a lot of people don't realize, but even Darwin said, hey, hey, even if evolution's true, it didn't start without a supreme being. That came from Darwin. Read his book, right? Somebody had to create life. And I got to tell you, the foundation of Christianity is based on the fact that God is the creator and the giver of life. So these are important things that you need to know. You need to learn how to defend the accuracy and reliability of the Bible. See, so I'm just, I, 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 I'm just saying that, that, that's great. You need to, but right now I'm just talking about the power of sharing your story. And so let me just give you a little acronym that maybe will help you share your story. Think of the word salt. And first of all, you want to do this. You just want to start a conversation. Hey, just came over to bring you some muffins. Noticed you moved in last week, you know. Just start a conversation. Hey, welcome to the company. How long have you been here? It's the first time I've seen you in the break room, right? Start a conversation. Here's a second. Just ask questions. 
So where are you from? Married, single. Kids, what do you do? What's your favorite hobby? You know, what brought you here? Just ask questions. Now, this is the hard one for some of us. Listen, just shut up and listen. Just let them talk. Just let them talk. Just listen. Be involved. You know, ask the right follow-up questions. And then you tell your story. Now, let me just say this. When it comes to telling your story, uh, my story's not a great story. Because I accepted Christ when I was five. Because I went to church and the evangelist said, hey, you're going to go to hell if you don't have Jesus in your life. So I went home and said, Mom, I want to know more about this whole Jesus thing. Okay? This hell thing does not sound like something I'm interested in. Right? So that's not a very interesting story. It's not like, you know, I can't say, you know, I was five years old and, and I was a heroin addict and I was actually dealing and I was running prostitutes. But at six, I, you know, I got saved and Christ changed my life. and Nobody's going to believe that. So, but I love to tell the story of what Jesus did for me. So you got to tell the story. And so start a conversation, ask questions, listen, and tell your story. Now, here's the problem. Most of us, that's not the acronym we follow. Most of us, it's more like this. Okay? We talk, 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 talk. And then we argue, 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 argue. And then we get louder. Louder, 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 and then we quit. <laughs> Durham, schools. I'm just kidding. You know what's funny? Girl sitting right back there was my next door neighbor on Austin Avenue. She was my sister's best friend. Now she's at Hope Community Church. It's a small world, man. But uh, now the reason it says quit, K-W-I-T, is because Laura said, Friday, she makes me tell her what I'm speaking on. So I told her, and I gave her my acronym, and I had talk, argue, louder, kick them. She said, you cannot say kick them. I said, so she immediately gets on the computer. There gotta be a letter with K, you know, starts with K that fits in. And I finally said, I'm just gonna use quit. And she said, they will think you are an idiot. I said, it took them this long? I mean, are you kidding me, right? right. Well, that's what we do, we talk, we argue. If that doesn't work, we just get louder, we get more passionate, right? And then forget you. You know, and you walk away, we just, we just kind of quit. Now, that's just not the way to do it. See, you just ask questions, you listen. In fact, you know what I've learned? You ask them about their story and let them tell their story. This is probably what's going to happen. When they finish, they're like, so, what's your deal? Where are you from? And it's like the door is wide open. Now, let me just say this about arguing. One of the reasons I believe we argue is because, especially the longer we've been Christians, we get hung up on somebody's behavior, right? Or their actions, or maybe you know, their beliefs, or something they said. So we argue about politics, and we argue about bad habits, and we argue about some kind of lifestyle, and we just simply forget that Jesus died for that person. See, the most important thing we can tell them is that Jesus loves them, wants to be in a relationship with them, and he wants to change their life. That, that's all you need to tell them. You don't need to argue with them. In fact, let me share with you something that's helped me. I just got to the point where I'm just not shocked when people sin. Uh, you come to my office, you can tell me the most God-awful thing you've been involved in. I'm like, oh, well, I've heard worse. You know, I might even say, you want to go smoke a cigar? Because I might think you're a lot more interesting to hang out with than my staff. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I'm just not shocked. I'm not, I'm not going to be shocked by anybody's sin. Guess what? Jesus was never shocked. Jesus, you don't find anywhere in the gospel where Jesus said, I cannot believe I created you and you are capable of this kind of behavior. You don't see that. As I said, Jesus wasn't shocked when the woman was caught in adultery. He said, I don't condemn you. No, you need to change, but I don't condemn you. He wasn't shocked when he was having the conversation with the woman at the well. She said, yeah, I've had five husbands. He said, oh, I know. In fact, the guy you're shacking up with right now, he's not even your husband, number six. I'm not shocked by that. 
He wasn't shocked that Zacchaeus was a Jew, tax collector, who was ripping off the Jews to line his money, pockets with money. He wasn't shocked at all. He's like, hey, I'd like to hang out with you. Let's go have lunch. He went to his house and had lunch with him. He wasn't shocked when Peter denied him. In fact, a, a couple of days before, he said, hey, Peter, come in. Just give you a heads up. You're going to deny me three times. Just didn't want you to be surprised, right? I mean, think about that. But for some reason, we expect people who aren't followers of Jesus, who don't understand this, we expect them, you know, to follow the rules, stay within the lines. I remember I was down in Port-au-Prince, Haiti at our Agape campus, which is cool. It's so cool what God has done down there. They'll probably have 1,200 people or so down there this weekend while we're worshiping here. And if you go there, it, is, it, it feels just like Hope Community Church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I mean, it's, they have the first impressions, the kid city, uh, the incredible music. It's just a great, great place to go. But I, was, I had been down there for the weekend. I'd spoken, and John Elise, the pastor, was taking me back to the airport. And it is just crazy. I mean, if you've ever been to a real third world country, like when we used to work with orphans in Kampala, Uganda, or Bangui, Central African Republic, the capital there when we used to drill wells, and now Port-au-Prince. Hey, it's just chaos. I mean, there are no lines on the road. And so when you get up to an intersection where it should be for two cars, there might be six cars and 17, you know, mopeds, you know, trying all the time, jockeying for position. I just remember how chaotic it was, and there's no stoplights, and everybody's just kind of going when they feel like it, and there's millions of people crammed onto this rock sitting out in the middle of the ocean, and I told John Lee, I said, I don't think I've ever seen an accident here. He said, hey, do you know what country in the world has the most accidents? I said, no. He said, which one? He said, U.S. Auto accidents. And I checked it. Guess what? He's, he's right. You know what he said? You know why we don't have accidents? He says, uh, we don't expect each other to stay in the lines. You expect them to stay in the lines. We don't expect that. So we're prepared. We just assume they're not going to stay in the lines. We're watching out for it. That, we don't have accidents. But think about it, here where we live, man, somebody just starts to drift into our lane. We are shocked. Oh, 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 you get back in your lane. I saw you, I saw you had the tires right there on the wide line. This is my lane, it's my lane, right? Right? And then when you go by them, what do you do? Give them the look. I saw what you're doing. Or, you know, you point them to Jesus. I've seen, I've driven, I've driven. Please take your hope stickers off the back of your cars. Thank you. I think you know who I'm talking to. I was driving one day. I always drive in the fast lane. Now, let me just preface this by saying I have not had a ticket in 25 years. But I drive in the fast lane because I feel like you can go a little faster in that lane. So I just feel like it should be a gelable offense if you drive the speed limit in the fast lane. That makes no sense. Like, this is fast lane, get over there. And this is my lane. And so if you're in the fast lane, I'm gonna get right on your bumper. I know you hate people like that. In fact, I was, I was going down the road and I was behind a car and I was so close they actually reached in and changed his radio station to 99.9 <laughs> fan because there was a game on. But I mean, and finally, and plus he's weaving. And I can tell he's on his phone. He's got his hands on top of the steering wheel and he's got his little thumbs going. And he's all, and finally, Finally, he moved over, and as I went back, <laughs> went to hope. <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought that was you. Kept right on going, right, right, get out of town, right, right. So we expect people to stay in the lines. Let me say this. I don't argue with a lost person about politics. I'm not going to sit there and debate evolution or creation with them. I'm not going to talk lifestyle, because you know what? That's not what matters in the moment. What matters is this, do they know what Jesus did for them? So don't argue. I'm telling you, if they decide to follow Jesus, Jesus will take care of most of the stuff. That's not our problem. Jerry Falwell, he's an old one. He's been dead for a while now. 
But you know what he said one time? It was one of the greatest quotes he ever made. He said, as Christians, we spend too much time trying to clean the fishbowl and not enough time fishing. And I think that's part of the problem. We just don't spend enough time sharing the gospel. Jesus will take care of the other stuff. He'll clean up the fishbowl. Now, here's the last one. It's just fun to witness. It's just fun to witness. There's nothing at stake. You don't, if you say no, you don't reject me. I'm like, that's cool. You know, we'll have more conversations some other time. I'll never forget years ago when I lived in Southern California, I was pastoring in Long Beach. I had a guy, and he was a great guy. His name was John Burden. He had been a ski instructor in Park City, Utah. Uh, and he started out just, just kind of dabbling a little bit in cocaine. And then one day, because, you know, he's a ski instructor. He's got kind of that free spirit. And, and uh, somebody said, hey, man, would you kind of just move around some for me? Because I know you must have these wealthy clients and stuff. And so he started doing that, then he got busted. And fortunately, uh, his jail sentence was, was cut rather short. And he left Utah and thought, I got to get a whole new environment. And he moved to Long Beach, California, where I was. And he just took a job as a painter, painting houses. I'm talking about a step down, you know. But he started coming to the church. And he just had questions. And every once in a while, just out of the blue, he'd walk in my office and say, I, I got questions. And we would talk. And I'd talk. And we would laugh. And then one day, he was in my office. And he said, oh, well, Mike, so how do I actually do this thing? How do I... How do I actually become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, if that's what I wanted to do? And I said, well, you know, Acts says that if, if you pro profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, if you mean that Jesus, if you believe really Jesus died for me, and this is the only way I'm going to get back into a relationship with God is through what Jesus' death is burial, and his resurrection. If you believe that, and then it says if you profess with your mouth, in other words, you're saying, hey, this is what I believe, then you'll be saved. I said, it's that simple. It's just that simple. You don't have to go into classes. You don't have to, there's no magic prayer. It's just, God, I believe your son died for me. I believe he died to pay for my sins, to do what I couldn't do for myself. And I believe he rose from the dead to prove that he's my savior. And I want you to forgive me of my sin and accept me. You're done. And he says, I, I, I want to do that. I said, okay, let's do it. So we sat there and he said, God, this is John. John Burden, John K. Burden. I live over at 312 Elm Street in Rossmore. And I'm like, he's going to give God his zip code. You know, <laughs> the most refreshing thing in the world. And he said, God, you know my past. You know my mess. You know I'm a sinner. And I believe that your son Jesus died for my sins. And I believe he rose three days later to prove he can take care of my sins. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins because of what your son Jesus Christ did for me. One of the most beautiful, I'm telling you, those are thrills you never forget. There's a guy that 20 years ago at Holly Hill, I got called after a crack cocaine overdose. And I went over, his wife said, would you go? And I went over and it was the day after he'd gotten put in and literally we got on the floor there on our knees and he said, ask Jesus to forgive him of his sins. And he got sober. In fact, I tried to call to get him into a hospital. You know what they said about crack cocaine? They said if he comes crawling in here in his hands and he's begging for help, he has an 8% chance of getting cured. Now, that was years ago. Maybe they've come up with new things, but 8%. But you know what? He never went to rehab. He got involved in NA, did some different things. He's been sober for years. Now he leads an NA group that meets here. And every time I see him, every time I see him, the thrill seems like it was just yesterday because somehow God used me in that process of his life changing. I'm telling you, it's just fun. It's fun. And I'm telling you, you are a witness because you have experienced how Jesus can change 
your life. And when you share that story with somebody else, you just don't, you don't know how God's going to use it, how it's going to happen. I went and shared the story with a lady that was a receptionist at a restaurant. And she said, God could never forgive me. And I had an idea of what she was alluding to. I said, I can forgive anything. Can't forgive me. I said, here's my phone number, text me. She texted me, we got texts back and forth. And finally she said what it was. I said, God can forgive that in his sleep. You know, I, I mean, there's nothing God can't forgive. I said, you just need to come to Hope. And let's, well, she lived way up in Wake Forest. And I said, well, here's the deal. Go to this church. I gave him the name of the church. I got a friend, a pastor there. After about three weeks, she texted me. She said, hey, I went. I said, what'd you think? I loved it. Cool, you know? Three weeks later, Mike, I invited Jesus into my life this week. I didn't, I didn't do anything but tell her story, you know? And then later on, somebody else got to be a part of That's all you're doing. So what do you say we just willingly share our story? And see, hey, it's not a win-lose. It's not a rejection. It's just, this is my story. It's my story. They may say, that's so cool. That's just not for me. That's fine. You know, let's go to IHOP. You know, you just, you, just, you just keep going on, right? Now, to wrap this up this weekend, I have a gift for each person, you know, to remind you from here on out to share your story. So I'm going to ask all the, the greeters and all to come forward to share your story with other people. So they're gonna give you a cup and you just pass it down the aisle and in it is lead fishing weights, okay? So just take out one lead fishing weight and just pass it down to the aisle and then they'll pick them up. Just take one of the lead fishing weights. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Why, why am I giving you a lead fishing weight? Well, some of you have been around church for a while. Like I know why he's giving us a lead fishing weight. Because in another part of the Bible, Jesus says we're to be fishers of men. Nope. If that was my lesson, I would give you a hook, you know. <laughs> but this is what I want you to do. When I was growing up, remember the Baptist church, people used to say this. Well, you know, I don't witness unless I feel led. <laughs> so I want you to take that lead fishing weight and put it in your pocket. Figure out how to attach it to your keychain. Ladies, put it in your little coin purse or somewhere where you can get to it quickly. And the next time you're having coffee at Starbucks or lunch or taking a walk with someone and they're telling you the story of their life and you think what they really need is Jesus, reach into your pocket and feel led. <laughs> and then you will be inspired. Like, oh yeah. To tell your story. Now, let me just say one thing in closing. Some of you are here this weekend because someone invited you and it just hit you. Oh, I'm the target. <laughs> Awkward, right? So let me just say this. Do you know why they invited you? Because they have met Jesus and it has transformed their life. And they so desperately want you to know what he can do in your life. But maybe they don't know how to tell you. Or maybe they're new at it. Or maybe they thought you might ask them a question they couldn't answer. But I'm just telling you, that's why they invited you here. Because they're hoping in some way. See, you wouldn't want to, it'd be like if they somehow found an investment and one day you realized they were moving and they were moving in the mansion and had a private jet. And like, how did this happen? Oh, a few years ago, I found this little thing to invest in. They didn't want you saying, oh, why didn't you share that with me? I would have liked to have invested in that too, see. They're just showing you the greatest investment they've ever made by putting their trust in Jesus Christ. And they don't want you to miss out. So understand, that's why they invited you. And I hope that you heard the gospel, that Jesus 
died for you. That's how much he loves you. Whether you're interested in him or not, whether you want to have a relationship with God, he died for you. And he did rise three days later to verify, I am the savior of the world who can take away your sin. And if you just transfer your trust to, hey, I went to church, maybe I'm back on God's good side. No, I transfer my trust to what Jesus did for me and who he is, you will be saved. And if you make that decision, tell somebody. Tell the person that brought you. Go by our next steps, tell them. In fact, if you go by the next steps and say, I, I responded to the gospel this week. I, I made the decision to be a follower of Jesus. I wrote a book not too long ago, You Can't, God Can. And it's, it's a 98-page book about what God wants to do in your life and how he can transform your life if you're willing and how he can do things in your life that will blow your mind. It's a gift for you if you go by there and say, hey, I, I think it'll get you off on your right steps as you begin this journey with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for being such an awesome God. And thanking us, thank you for loving us long before we ever loved you. And thank you for having a plan that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Ed sinned and you had to kill an animal to cover up their sin. And it was a kind of a preview of a coming attraction that for man's sin to be taken care of, something was going to have to die. And that you gave us your son to die in our place. To live the life we couldn't live. To die the death that we deserved. And if we accept him as our savior, you give us life here abundantly and eternal life with you after we die. Greatest offer in the history of mankind. And if we haven't responded, I pray there will be those here this weekend who will. Who just say, oh, I want that. And for the rest of us, let's help us remember that we have the keys to life now and after death. And we should share our story. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.